0: This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the Hill Country Authors Podcast. Not only is the Texas Hill Country the most beautiful place in Texas, but it also has some of the best writers in Texas. On this podcast series, I'm going to explore writers in literally all genres of writing, both fiction and nonfiction. I hope you'll join me in this journey. Today I visit with Sky Alexander, author of the Lizzie Crane murder mystery series. Hello everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode and we are wearing green as we're recording this on St. Patrick's day. And we're in the studio of the Texas Hill Country podcast network, but I'm thrilled to have Sky Alexander. She's my guest today. So Sky, first of all, welcome. And thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me. Thank you for having me on. So you are a very prolific author, but I became aware of you when you started your most recent mystery series. So can you start there?
1: Sure. My mystery series is set in the 1920s, 1925 through 1927, and my characters are jazz musicians. As we were talking earlier, that was a really important time for jazz, particularly in New York, Chicago, and New Orleans, and I thought it would be fun to write about it. I'm now working on the sixth, and the one you read, I think, is the first one. Okay. It's a wonderful escape from what's going on in the world today. I can go back a hundred years and fantasize about all of these things, and writing fiction allows you to play god or goddess. You can make anything happen. You can, If you don't like somebody, you can kill them off. Yeah, it's a really fun way to make a living. I'm very...
0: So I think it's fair to say lots of books have atmosphere. Many of us read a book or a specific author for atmosphere, but you had in my mind, an incredibly unique atmosphere. And the best way I can describe it is, I don't want to say class conflict, but you were able to emphasize as opposed to race or other issue in America in a way that, frankly, I hadn't seen done in a mystery. So could you tell us about that?
1: Yes. My protagonist, main character, her name is Lizzie Crane, and she is from a poor Irish immigrant family in New York City in the mid-1920s when the stories take place, she and her band, there are four of them, um, start getting jobs working for very wealthy families and entertaining at special events such as weddings or engagement parties or other kinds of events such as that. And so there is the class distinction between her and her background and what she's striving to become. And the characters who hire her to perform for
0: So that's a fairly well known trope in the English novels. Yes. Upstairs, Downstairs, or Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey, any of those. And my wife is English, so we get to watch a lot of those. But we really don't see that too much in America. When it's, there's usually a book about class, it's usually about. Uh, really more about politics or radicalism or Mm -hmm. like that. But this really demonstrated a distinct economic difference in the way the homeowners and the hirers, if I can use that phrase, (laughs) really treated and thought about the hired help.
1: Right. Yes. And that was part of what was fun for me is to show the different types of lives and characters from different walks of life. And show how they interact, and as you said, how the different hosts, if you will, the people who hire my characters, treat sometimes the entertainers as if they're celebrities, and sometimes as if they're servants.
0: And I really got that sense, and, and the first when I read, probably the first 30 pages, I would just, I have to meet this lady, <laughs> because uh, it was so unique and so different, and uh, as I said, you, you just don't see that in America.
1: I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that, And I tried to bring in different types of characters. However, at that particular time, and the first four, the one you read and the three that come after it are set in New England. And so there wasn't a whole lot of interaction between white and black people at that time or whites and Asians. And so I didn't have the opportunity to bring in a whole lot of people of color. But then the fifth one is set in New York City, and there was a lot more interaction there than, and the next one will be, the sixth will be in New Orleans. So there's a lot more interaction between different types of people in New York City at that time, particularly in the jazz field.
0: Now, you you heavily write your works before you actually sit down and write them. Were you a jazz aficionado anyway? You no, built I wasn't. Upon that, I actually, or did you learn?
1: <laughs> I actually was not. I didn't know a whole lot about jazz. But I knew that it was a very important musical form that came into its own during that time period. And the fact that I had characters who were jazz musicians gave them the opportunity to go to different places to perform rather than being stuck in one little town all the time and having to keep interacting with the same people. I started watching a lot of YouTubes and then going back and listening to the music of the various performers who were famous or who were up and coming at the time. And it turned out to be a lot of...
0: Was it people like Louis Armstrong, Big Mama Thornton? Yeah,
1: all those people. Yeah. And also the other people who also wrote show tunes like the Gershwins were really popular at that time. So, yeah, I got to just sit there for hours and listen to music.
0: So this this book, the one I read, and it sounds like the others, are written, set rather, in the jazz age. Yes. And it's named the jazz age, obviously for jazz, but it was an economic boom time.
1: Yes, it was. And it was also a time when people were bent on having a good time. They'd just come out of World War One, and it was the stock market crash and depression. And also it was a period when women had just gotten the vote. So they were more free also and could do a lot of things that they weren't allowed to do during the Victorian era. It was actually the first wave of feminism. And was a big factor during that time, but it was ignored largely by as many people as could get away with it. And a lot of people don't realize that prohibition did not prohibit drinking. It only prohibited making it selling it or transporting it. So people could have alcohol in their homes, they could serve it to their guests if they could find a supplier.
0: So it was demand-side law, not a supply-side law, as you say in the (laughs) corruption world. You heavily research your books, though.
1: I do, actually. Tell us about your um, process. Okay, my process includes all kinds of things. For example, I go to, I physically go to every single place that is mentioned in the books, if it ever existed and still exists. So the one you read, for example, is set at a place that is now a museum, but was the home, one of the summer homes of the crane plumbing people who made showers and toilets and bathtubs. And it is a real estate. It's a 2,000 acre estate in Ipswich, Massachusetts, north of Boston. And so part of my research does involve physically going to every restaurant, library, train station, house, graveyard, anything that's there, except I haven't been in all of the police stations yet and hope I never will end up there. So that's part of my research. I also, as I said, I listen to lots and lots of music. I get maps. Old maps are really important from that time period because even if I've been to all of these places, they didn't look the same in 1925 as they do now. I, particularly in the book that's set in New York City, that happened to be a time period when the elevated railways, the L's, were being made into subways. So I had to get a map of the month during which that story takes place to see which ones were still L's and which ones had been put underground at that time so that when I had my characters moving about the city they could do what they really would have. I took a 40-part course in clothing from the time period so that I could learn everything from what kind of hats to undergarments people wore, menus from lots and lots of restaurants, not only the major big restaurants, but also Little Hole in the Walls. And that was fun, too. I get postcards, magazines from the time period. One of the best resources that I think historical writers can get is a Sears catalog from the time period because it has all the stuff that people average people used. You could even buy a house at that time from the Sears catalog and have it delivered. But you learn about what kind of clothing people wore, what kind of furniture they used, what kinds of household products, personal care products were available, what they cost. And that's a really wonderful resource. So yes, I do a tremendous amount of And it's great fun.
0: When I was very young, I lived with my grandparents and my grandmother was born in 1905. And she told me that Growing up, she actually grew up on an Indian reservation. One of the biggest events was when they got their Sears catalog. Yes. And she kept that just joy all the way to the 60s when I was living with her. It was a big deal to get a Sears catalog That's and true. the Christmas catalog.
1: That's true. Yeah, and it's interesting for me, at least, to see what kinds of things people used in their everyday lives. I didn't like history when I was in high school or college. And mostly it was because it seemed to emphasize wars and politicians and things not about the average person. I wanted to know more about what did everyday people do in those times.
0: Well, let's turn to your writing style. Do you okay. Are you a morning writer? Are you an afternoon writer, a night writer? How did you just sit down and write through it or how does it work for you?
1: I don't do anything much in the morning because I'm not a morning person and I ease very slowly into the day. I'll read, but that's about it. I usually write in the afternoons and wake up sometimes at three in the morning and I've got an idea and I'll go and write then. But I am not, I, I should say I'm a very serious, and dedicated writer because I've had nearly 50 books published now and thousands of newspaper and magazine articles. So I am committed to it. But I don't write every day, and I don't necessarily feel guilty if I don't write every day. I haven't written in a couple of days now because I've been doing promotion, like coming to visit you and talk with you on your show. But my writing process is, because I've been doing it for so long, I guess I should say this, I write when I feel like it. And as Faulkner said, he felt like it almost every day. So I might write only, I wrote one sentence yesterday. And some days if it's flowing and the muse is talking to me, and I'm just the designated typist, I might write for five or six hours.
0: So let me, let me pick up on that, because I've always wondered, does, do you just what the muse says? A lot of times. Do the characters actually tell you what they're going to do? The
1: characters tell me what they're going to do. They tell me what their names are. They tell me everything. Yeah, I just listen. I'll go back and I'll organize things for example if I find that a particular type of poison was used at this time and that only or that it was also used as a fixative for paintings that will give me an idea that I'm going to have that somewhere in my book but yes it's when the muse is talking to you and all you're doing is listening or when the characters are talking you don't interrupt you just write
0: you mentioned you've written I think over 50 books
1: I've had over I've had almost 50 published I have two more coming out this summer and then I'll be over the 50 mark but I have written probably about four the okay I have the last three in my mystery series have not yet been published they will be, but they're scheduled to come out one per summer and I have a couple books that I have not been able to sell yet that are still unpublished.
0: When did you start writing professionally?
1: When I was 15.
0: And what did you start writing for?
1: I wrote a column for my weekly newspaper.
0: And where was that?
1: Outside Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Did you grow up in Nashville?
1: No, but I did spend a number of years there when I was a kid, yeah. Uh,
0: Where'd you go to college?
1: University of North Carolina's Western Branch. And how did you get to the Hill Country? I, when my partner retired after nine eleven, he was an air traffic controller and involved in nine eleven very seriously. We decided we wanted to leave Massachusetts and go someplace where it was warm. We got tired of shoveling snow. So he retired and we just got in the car and we drove until we found a place we liked. And we really liked the people here. We thought it was the prettiest part of Texas, although that may not be true for people who grow up on, on the Eastern part or in the far west, but we really liked it here, and we thought the people were the friendliest that we'd ever met. So we just pulled up stakes and moved here.
0: And do you live in Kerrville? Yes, I do. And what are some of the events that you enjoy here in town? For instance, a folk festival, a symphony theater, or anything in between?
1: I do go to those sometimes. I have not been to every single one, and I do go periodically. I don't have a really active social life. I don't have a husband. I don't have kids. I don't have a lot of the activities that other people do. So I have to say my life is pretty quiet. My characters do all kinds of exciting things, but I I don't.
0: Well, how would you assess the local author scene or writing scene in Kerrville?
1: There are a lot of people who are very interested in writing, and there are some very good writers here. I've been fortunate to teach a writing class at the Dietert Center for 14 years. Every week we meet and we have people who write poetry, plays, novels, nonfiction, memoirs, all kinds of things. And that's been a lot of fun for me too, to inspire other people to write and get their books published.
0: We actually met at the Friends of the Library sale. We did. So could you tell us a little bit about what that event is, why it's so great, and your volunteer work at the library?
1: I am. I've been there eight years and I am the president of the Friends of the Library, our local one. And it has been here in Kerrville since 1953. April 1st will be our 70th anniversary. The Friends of the Library is a nonprofit organization. It's separate from the library and it's an international organization that raises money to assist the library with their various programs and activities. We buy audiobooks for them and large print books and magazine subscription, and a lot of other things too, but we fund many of their activities as well and some of their technical support needs. We just help to fund a bookmobile and we've contributed a large amount of money to the new heritage center, which is going to go online, we hope, within the next are going to start being renovated within the next few months.
0: I'm going to give a shout out for the actual sale because my wife and I went for the first time ever. That was your first time? First time.
1: Oh, welcome. (laughs) And we were
0: just blown away. So when, if people want to check out the sale, Books of the Library, Friends of the Books of the Library, when are you guys open?
1: We are open every Wednesday from 1 to 3 p.m. We are open usually the second Saturday of every month from 10 to 4, although The next one will be on April 1st instead of the 8th because it's closed for Easter and because the first is our 70th birthday party and there's going to be a big also eclipse party at the library. So we would love to have people come. The books, we have about 30,000 books, all in good condition, all different types of subjects, hardcovers and paperbacks. We also have DVDs. We have some collectible and autographed books. We have music CDs. All kinds of things.
0: I'm going to give a shout out for the pricing.
1: Oh, they're really cheap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you how cheap. $2.50 for hardback, 50 cents to $1.50 for paperbacks. And I found a first edition 1984 by George, signed by George Orwell for $100. Folks, it doesn't get any better than that. So if you want to support the library, and most of all, if you don't think there's a great bookstore in Kerrville, think again, because it will blow you away because
1: it blew us away. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoy it. And we do pride ourselves on offering a good product at very low money because they're donated to us by other readers like yourself and also books that are being discarded by the library. But we only keep things that are in good condition and we want to make that service available to our community and also to raise some money for the library. Unfortunately,
0: we're near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted to check out some of your books, where we'll would be the best place for them to go?
1: They can order them through any bookstore if the bookstore doesn't have them. Some of them are in the library. But you can certainly order from Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any of the online booksellers. The book you read is called Never Try to Catch a Falling Night. Uh, the second one in the series, which is also out in print, is called What the Walls Know. And the third, which will be out in August, I think in August. Yeah. Try, And there will be others every summer, I hope, from now on, as long as people want me to. Oh, and the third one is called, I can't even remember. What is the third one called? This is funny. It'll come back to me.
0: Do you have a website?
1: <laughs> I do. What's the website? SkyAlexander.com. And I think the reason you may not have been able to get mine was you may have spelled my name wrong. Did you spell it S-K-Y-E?
0: Probably. Probably not. Probably okay, because it's
1: S-K-Y-E, Alexander. Okay. It's called what? The Goddess of Shipwrecked Sailors is the third
0: one. I'll look forward to that coming out. I wanted to thank you again. Uh, sorry I was late for That's the okay. uh, recording, but it was no great problem. to meet you. It's great to be at the Friends of the Library Book Sale, and I look forward to continuing this conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I enjoyed it.
0: This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Hill Country Authors Podcast. If you have a book or are an author and like to come on my podcast, please let me know. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. The Hill Country Authors podcast is available on the Texas Hill Country Podcast Network. And we're all great. Podcasts are played.